You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Morning, everybody. Welcome to prom at Real Life. It's that time of year. I think if you're married, you should dance before you go home. Like, the mood is set. Hey, this is the... I didn't want to go camping this weekend because I have too many honeydews crowd, right? Is that who you guys are? How many people are working on a DIY project this weekend? Oh, that's pretty good. That might be better in first service. That's because you guys were all working on projects and you got second service because you were tired. Like, that DIY stuff is hard work, right? Well, uh, I am glad you're here this weekend. We are wrapping up um, our One Big Story series, eight weeks in, and this is the eighth week. And so we're going to do what we've always done as we've been kind of going along. We're going to do a little recap and kind of get a running start at the message this morning. And again, we're doing this every week. We're doing some recap because we want to help... just continue to help you remember the narrative, like the big chunks of the story, so that we're telling God's story the way God tells his story, not kind of our own made-up way. And so uh, many weeks ago when we started this series, we learned that in Genesis that we have a good God who made a great and amazing, awesome creation that was full of potential, and that when he made man and woman, he made us very good, right? He made us tov mayod, right? And I was doing this last week. Did anybody practice? Anybody get your moves on? No? If you did, definitely don't tell anybody, um, because that would be embarrassing. Um, And then we learned that the problem is not how we were made. The problem is the voices that we listen to. And in Genesis 3, when the snake comes in, that there's these other voices contrary to the word of God, and that when we listen to those voices, the consequences are guilt and shame, and, and all of the sort of the uglies come in when that happens. And then... Over time, we noticed, or we talked about how God found a man that he would trust with his story, like a a guy that he would trust to represent him and and tell his story the way he wanted it told, and that was Abraham. And through Abraham, God made a promise to make his name great, not so that Abraham's name would be great, like it wasn't about Abraham being great, it was that uh, a blessing to Abraham so that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, And that's where Aaron gets his great worship song, right? The uh, blessing conduit. We're still taking lyric submissions, so if you're good with a rhyme on conduit, let us know. No one has found one yet. Um, And then... We talked about how all throughout the Old Testament, there's this cycle that we see through the stories of the Old Testament, and that it's a cycle of God's limitless patience for us, and and the, the great lengths that he will go to to redeem us and reconcile with us so that we can live in peace with him again. And then we talked about how, what if we could break that cycle and live in peace continually with God? How would we do that? And then we looked at Jesus as the model for how we would live in peace continually with God. And remember the phrase like that we talked about, when in doubt, act like Jesus, right? And if you kind of keep that in your back pocket, when in doubt, act like Jesus, you can't go wrong. And then the next thing is on the cross, 
Jesus delivers us. But not only that, he modeled for us how to um, walk out our faith and how to live through even some of the most tragic or traumatic circumstances we could ever go through. And then we learned that the resurrected Christ gives us everything we need to succeed in life, right? Everything that we need can come through the, a relationship with the resurrected Christ. And that when we encounter the, res, the resurrected Christ, our lives are changed. And we looked at some of the people that encountered him last week and what the implications were for that. And so this week, we're going to kind of wrap up this big series, taking a look at some final words, sort of appropriately, some famous final words in the final segment of this series. And it's a time of year, like, like uh, Alex had kind of talked about in, in the prayer time, it's a time of year when there's a lot of final words being spoken, right? There's a lot of graduations. Um, probably a lot of you are doing the graduation circuit, you know, you only have to cook like once, and there's like four graduation meals in a week this time of year. And at these high school and college graduations, there's all kinds of speeches going on, and there's kids giving talks to their peers and their colleagues talking about wisdom and advice and things they're trying to impart to their friends and make sure that they know. And I don't know if you guys remember the speech that anyone gave at your high school graduation. If you do, you're amazing. Um, I don't. Those are some last words that people speak that kind of go in one ear and out the other at the time. But then there's other final words. There's other kind of last words that stick with us a little bit more. Like, the last words that our folks say to us, you know, at a pivotal time in our life before you're moving out of, home, out of the house for the first time. You know, um, maybe that's for college, maybe it's for a job, and kind of those last talks you had with your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa or that important person in your life, those words kind of stick. Or even the words that they say to you um, before your wedding those are kind of final words that really stick. And then some other last words that really stick with us are when someone is near the end of their days, when they're near the end of their life and they share with us, those are words that carry a lot of weight because we know that at the end of their life, if they could tell us anything, this is the thing they want us to know. And so obviously it's important to them and so it's important to us. And those are things that we tend to, carry near and dear to our heart those kind of talks. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the last words of the resurrected Jesus, right? This is Jesus post-resurrection, conquered death, before he goes back to ascend to be back with God the Father, he actually says some things to his guys, to his disciples that are following him. And it's like, if there was any time that we really want to hang on every word that Jesus said, this would be one of those times. And so as we get into this, it's a passage that a lot of us are really familiar with. We've heard it a lot. We've read it a lot. If you've been in church at all, it's, it's super common to you. And so I want you to look at it with a fresh set of eyes this morning, thinking about being with Jesus and hearing like his last words, like if Jesus was there and you were able to eavesdrop on this conversation, how keenly you would have paid attention to these last words. Let's take a look at it. It's in Matthew 28. It goes like this. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So I want to camp out here for a second. All authority. He says, all authority. This is a phrase probably if if you've been in church for a while, you've read this a lot of times. You've heard it a lot of times. You have uh, even probably memorized it at times in your life. All authority in heaven and on earth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I stop and just kind of look at a word or a phrase, and I'm like, why does that need to be there? Right? Jesus is with his disciples. They've seen him do countless miracles. They've watched him cast out demons and send them fleeing from men. They've seen him heal and do miraculous things. They've even watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. And now they're sitting with and have been experienced with like the resurrected Jesus, seeing the holes in his hands, the holes in his side. He conquered death. And like, why of all people does he need to say, hey, I have authority? Like, wouldn't they sort of know that? Like, sometimes I'm like, isn't that sort of common sense? There's a reason that he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Because for his guys, he's calling them back to a passage of the text that they would have been familiar with. He's calling them back to a passage of prophecy that talked about who he was and the battle that was going to go on in the end times and who was going to actually have authority. There's a passage out of Daniel 7, and if, uh, if you remember, Daniel 7 is a lot like the, the literature that we read in our Revelation series. It's apocalyptic literature, and so it uses a lot of imagery and vivid descriptions to portray um, crazy creatures and beasts and animals and places that represent rulers and nations and countries. And they, it uses all of this imagery and this, this vivid descriptions to paint pictures for us about how the end is going to come. This apocalyptic style writing, right? And so Daniel 7 does just that. And in Daniel 7, we're going to see some pretty crazy descriptions of amazing creatures that represent rulers and countries and nations. But I want you to pay close attention in the end to who is prophesied about that would actually get dominion, or another word for that is authority or power. Let's take a look at it together. It says, Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great, steep, the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and he had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in, his, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed 
and the Ancient of Days took his seat. We're talking about God now. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was, a f- uh, was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened." I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is calling his guys back to understand this passage. Now, for us sitting here in 2018... We can read a passage like Matthew 28 that we're all really familiar with. This great commission as it's subtitled in our Bibles, it even has a little thing, usually in bold, that says like, this is something important, take note of this. This is Jesus' great commission, his really important instructions. This is the thing, right? And we can read that and have no idea what's going on behind the scenes with his guys and that for his guys, their understanding the context in which he's saying that I actually have the authority to give you this instruction. I have the authority to rule over this kingdom, to give you this commission, this call. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? In contrast to Rome that they're in the middle of. In contrast to Caesar coming out and saying in a decree that he is calling himself a son of God. Like, in contrast to all of that, Jesus is saying, no, I'm the one that the prophecy was about. I'm the one that went to the ancient of days. I'm the one who was given all authority, not just temporary authority, but eternal authority for an eternal kingdom. That's the loaded, behind-the-scenes context that frames up this commission that he's about to give his guys. Let's Let's finish up what he said there. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? So here's the thing. In this passage, the word go is not translated very well. It's translated as an imperative, which is like a verb that's used to describe a, a command or a warning or an instruction. And it, it, in the original context, in the original language, it's, it's not an imperative. It's more a, um, a participle. And so it's better translated, like the right way to understand it in English, the closest we could get, is as you are going. As you are going, make disciples, as opposed to go, make disciples. Now, you may sit there and think, well, that, okay, sort of like semantics, like 
six one, half does the other. Does it really matter that much? It does matter that much because when, when we understand it as go and make disciples, a lot of people, not ignorant people, not naive people, well-intentioned, well-meaning people have understood that over the years to mean that in order to make disciples, you have to go somewhere. I've talked to people that told me that for years they grew up in a church where they actually wholeheartedly believed that in order to make disciples, you had to go somewhere. And it was validated and reaffirmed by the church that they grew up in who didn't mean anything wrong by it at all, but had awesome maps of places around the world where they had sent or supported missionaries. And those, sort of, those people were kind of sort of hung up as the pillars of the, the, the disciple makers, the goers of their church. This is who they supported and funded and talked about and shared stories about. And so people grew up thinking in order to make disciples, you have to go. And if people thought, well, I'm not a guy that's going to go to Africa or I'm not a guy that's going to go to Mexico or wherever, then the this commission to make disciples is sort of not that relevant to me, like the pastor does it or the missionary does it, but that's not really my thing. So you can see the confusion when we kind of hang our hat on something that's not a great translation. Instead, when we understand it as, as you are going, make disciples, now all of a sudden it's applicable to all of us. As we are going... We make disciples as we are going along the way in our everyday life. It's not a destination we go to to start disciple making. It's a thing we do. It's an it's a identity. It's a who we are in Christ. We are a disciple maker as we are going. Now, okay, so it's like, so we've got this call as we are going along the way to go and make disciples. How? How do we do that? He spells it out. It's really simple. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's not a complicated instruction. But it is harder than it looks. He says it like this. He says that as we're going, we are to make disciples of all nations. First off, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so for real life, and for many, many, many churches, not just us by any means, but for us, we make a big deal out of baptism because baptism is an integral part of being a disciple of Jesus. So if you've been around here for a while, you've seen that Pullman now, we've started doing them. We do them in Moscow all the time, but we've got the holy hot tub going now. And so when people want to get baptized, we make a big deal out of it. We make a big deal of meeting with them ahead of time and talking through what baptism means and why it's significant and the symbolism that it represents when you commit to trust and follow Jesus. And when we actually do the act of baptism, it's like a special event because it is a key element in becoming a disciple of Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, when we see examples throughout the book of Acts and other places, we see people that want to become Jesus followers. They want to know how to get on board with following Jesus. They're like, I like what I'm hearing. How do I get in, in some way, shape, or form? And always, no matter what the circumstances or what the person, including Paul, we always hear the same response. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the free gift of the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a big deal. It's not the only deal, though. 
It's not, hey, let's, as long as we're baptizing people, we're making disciples. No, that's not it. That's not the commission that he gave. He says, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So likewise, we're supposed to be teaching people to obey what Jesus commanded. Like, so first of all, one of the things the church has been great at over the years has been awesome at educating people on what Jesus taught. Like, there are a lot of people that know the word of God very well. One of the things the church has not been great at, big church, corporate, historically, is helping people actually try out doing the word of God. It's one thing to have a bunch of people that know it's a whole different thing to have a bunch of people that have had years of practice and are ready to go and do it because they've tried it over and over and over again, right? Um, from a construction background, I can tell you, like, you can read all the books you want on construction and building stuff, like, everything. You can read all sorts of stuff about building a deck or a pole barn or roofing your house. You can even watch videos on it, but reading about it and learning about it and actually doing it are very different. If you've ever seen some things that people built that like watched a DIY show and then tried to do it on their own, it doesn't always turn out so great, right? Like it takes a lot of practice you know, like walking out what you're learning, not just trying it out. Anybody ever tried some uh, failed DIY? I had lots of those. They were my practice territory, <laughs> right? It's not about just learning the stuff. It's about actually walking it out, right? And so for us as a church, for us as believers, we need to be awesome at helping people practice obeying Jesus' teachings, we need to get creative and think of ways to help our people in our congregation, our people in our family, practice walking out what Jesus taught. For parents, we need to be experts at coaching our kids and giving opportunities for them to, like, life uh, age appropriately, practice following what Jesus taught. If they know the word and they've never tried it out, we're missing the mark. That's not discipleship. Um, Terry and I were working on a project this last couple days, working on our mantans. Um, they go up to there because um, nobody wants to see any more of this exposed ever, right? Um, so we were working on our mantans and we were uh, building some stuff and having a good time together and then we took a break and we were going in the house and they have this cool little dog that's a, a pound puppy that they got from the pound somewhere and it's a really smart dog way smarter than any pound puppy I ever got and so Terry's like oh you got to check out the dog the dog's got a bunch of tricks right so he's like I want to run you through the repertoire of dog tricks and I'm like well we'll see you know everybody's seen dog tricks so we'll see and so he's like you know the normal all right shake this hand yeah cool shake this hand cool and he's like watch this knuckles and the dog goes like this and bites his you know not bites it but just puts his mouth over I'm like oh that's pretty cool I've never seen that one before knuckles on a dog that's cool um they don't have knuckles, I don't think, but um, so it was creative. And so then they do the normal, you know, he says, you know, sit, and the dog sits. He says, lay down, the dog lays down. He's like, you ready for the grand finale, right? The dog's laying down, looking at him, right? You know, looking up at him, and he's like, bang, 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 you know? What does the dog do? <clears throat> Falls over, 
dies. And then he's sitting there for a second. He's like, watch this. And the dog lifts his head up, looks at him. He's like, bang, bang, bang. He shoots him again. The dog's head falls back down. <laughs> he's like, sometimes I have to shoot her two or three times before she's really dead, right? And then he gives her a treat and the dog's happy and it was pretty cool, right? The reason that was cool is because they spent a whole bunch of time teaching the dog, but the reason it was cool is because the dog actually did it, right? My dog, I had this awesome, amazing Great Dane for a long time and it was one of the most beautiful dogs you'll ever see. Everybody loved him. His name was Duke and he was so cool. Just this big, like an elephant, like so huge. And the coolest thing about Duke is you would go, hey Duke, sit, and he would just look at you. <laughs> And be like, what are you going to do, make him? You know, he was like 220 pounds. And you're like, lay down. And he's like, no, do you know how hard it is to get back up? It's like, I'm not doing that. Like, my dog was not very cool to show people tricks because he was horrible at obeying, right? Silly example. It's just a funny way to help us remember that when it comes to learning and knowing and understanding the word of God that's not just about learning it. It's not just about knowing it and storing it in our heart. Yes, absolutely. Those are critical ingredients. But if we don't actually walk it out in our everyday life, if we don't walk it out in our marriage, if we don't apply and obey Jesus' teaching in our workplace, in our, with our friends and our hobbies and with our kids, then we're not disciples were just knowers about Jesus not disciples disciples are baptized in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and they are on mission like learning how to obey Jesus's teaching it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it by any means but that's the mark that we shoot for here's the cool thing you want to know what it looks like it looks amazing when it's played out we fast forward a little ways past this part of the story and we go, how does it look when these guys that he gave this call and commission to, how does it look when they actually walked it out? Let's take a look in uh, Acts 11. This is how it goes in here. It's really cool. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching to the Lord Jesus. And the, land of the, Lord, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So it, it didn't have a lot of impact on whether they stayed or whether they went or whether they were in home in Jerusalem or scattered to the ends of the Roman Empire at the time. Whether they stayed or went wasn't the deal. Wherever they went, they were discipling people. Whether it was Cyprus or Cyrene or Antioch, wherever they went, they were taking the word of God with them and they were teaching people about Jesus and not just about him, but how to also follow his teachings. And the word of God spread 
to the known ends of the earth at the time. The cool thing for us is the same thing can still be going on and is still be going on, is still going on. Like, it, I love hearing stories of people who uh, say, hey, I was a part of the church in Post Falls and, and I moved down here to go to school and I was so excited that you were here and someone else did this and someone else did this and like stories of people's faith impacting other people like two and three people past them is amazing. And I just think about how cool would it be for us even like 40, 50 years from now, just a couple generations or something, like not in, in terms of history, it's a blip. But like, how cool would it be to hear stories where your name comes up? Where your name comes up like a Barnabas, like, it was so awesome, this so-and-so that hosted our care group, or this so-and-so that was our, our, my men's group leader, or the guy that I met through work and invited me to a thing at his house, and because of him, my marriage was changed and I learned about Jesus and he helped me learn how to follow him or she helped me learn how to like really trust and follow Christ and, and, and through our relationship, my kids grew up in church and I would have never went to church but they grew up in it because it was something that became important to me and it changed my life and kids are growing up in Christ like families that generationally have no Christianity in the family tree could be changed, like alter the course of the history of their family for years and generations to come because people in here now today are doers, like are, are obeying what Jesus taught. To me, that gets, that, I just, it, it super excites me. It makes me, for me, guys, I know I'm not translating like my, probably what's on my inside is not coming out on my outside very good. But for me, the idea, the opportunity of that means sell everything I own and go anywhere God wants me to go any day, period. Like I am in if it means that there are people that will know how to trust and follow Jesus. That lights my fire. I want to be a part of a place that is like full of people that are like sell anything, go anywhere, do anything, whatever it takes for people to know about Jesus, right? Like that is cool stuff. One of the things we're going to do as a church is we're going to start kind of making some tweaks to how we talk about care groups and stuff. Um, Terry was talking about that barbecue we're going to do this Wednesday night. One of the things we're going to do is as a church, um, what we've sort of accidentally, unintentionally done is we sometimes say things like, you know, we're getting towards the end of the season and care groups are about done. Or we say things like, yeah, I don't know if I, you know, I had someone I was going to invite to my care group, but, we, but we're almost over. Like somehow all year long we build relationship and fight for relationship with people and invest in each other and the temperature reaches a certain point and the school calendar reaches a certain point and we pause our Christian relationships which is sort of weird to me. And I know we're not doing it on purpose. It's just sort of this thing that's kind of creeped into our culture. And so as a church, one of the things we're trying to really do is kind of break that habit. We know that in the Northwest, seasons change and life changes for people, right? Like when we're like, you know, eight months of winter and gray and dull, and all of a sudden it's like 65 degrees outside and you feel like you just landed in San Diego and you're like, hallelujah, the sun is here, right? Everybody wants to like kind of 
go and get out and have fun and goof off, and that's awesome and totally cool. So yes, care groups and Bible studies and accountability groups, they look different as the seasons change, and especially our seasons when things get warm and fun, things change. But one of the things we're trying to do is as a church, we're trying to go through the summer, through the summer, we're going to make sure that we not only don't pause our relationships and our disciple-making efforts, but that we get creative on taking advantage of the climate and the outdoor activities and all that kind of stuff. So as a church, we're going to be putting out this calendar this Wednesday night. We're going to give it to all of our care group leaders and everybody that's in our care group system. We're going to give it to them first and kind of give them the, the preview on it as the people that help champion discipleship in our church. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to start giving everybody here informing you what we're going to do. But we're going to have all kinds of activities through June, July, and August that as a church, we're sponsoring, we're kind of hosting, we're making it super easy for you guys to facilitate relationship with each other all summer long. So it's not one more thing you have to plan. It's not something you have to get your house clean for. It's just something you show up for with your people and you have fun together, and you invest in and pour into each other, okay? So, get off my soapbox. <laughs> I'm excited for the things that we're going to do together this summer and the time we're going to spend together, and I'm excited that even though it's warm out and the, the season's different, it doesn't mean that we just kind of pause and wait till school starts to get back on, like, discipling each other and spurring each other on in our faith, that we can be a church that's a year-round, all the time, help each other really obey and follow Jesus kind of church. So with that, we're going to get to our time of communion. So they're going to pass these buckets here first in just a second. And when the buckets go by, if you would please drop your connection cards in them. And if you want to drop your tither offering in them, that's totally fine. And then right after that, they're going to pass out the elements for communion. And if you're new with us at Real Life, when we take communion, we have what we call an open table. And that means that Anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to take communion with us. Like, we would not only welcome, we would love for you to take communion with us. So, while we get that stuff passed out, we're going to take a look at some implications, okay? So, they're in your notes, and they're going to be up here on the screen. The first one is this. No matter who you are or where you are going, Jesus gives all of us a specific mission, right? No matter who you are or where you're going, Jesus gives all of us a specific mission. We're all called to make disciples as we're going through life. If you're a freshman in college, you're a disciple maker. If, you're, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior. If you're a grandma and call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're a disciple maker. If you're an eighth grader and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're a disciple maker. Like we all have the same call and commission. So the next one. How we embrace that mission shapes our identity. If we misunderstand the mission and we think it's something that we have to go somewhere to do, it's going to change how we see ourselves personally. If we see it rightly as as we are going, make disciples, that it's something all of us are called to do wherever we're at in life, then we start to see ourselves rightly as disciple makers. It's not the job of the pastor or the missionaries. It's that everybody who calls Jesus Lord has this commission to make disciples as we go. 
Let's look at the next one. As we build relationships with others, how they respond to us doesn't change our mission or our identity. So here's the deal. As you're sharing your faith, as you're trying to encourage and help other people follow Christ, if, if your identity, if your kind of worth is summed up in how other people respond to you sharing your faith, you're in deep trouble. Right? Like if you're looking for validation from them of like if you're doing it right or if you're good or not good from how people respond, it's going to be a messy ride for you. Full of disappointment. But if you are being obedient to Christ because you know this is a commission and a call that Christ has given you when you made him Lord and Savior and that, that you're just being obedient to him irregardless of how people respond to you, you know that you're right with God as you walk out your faith, then you're going to be good as gold no matter what happens. Let's look at the next one. This last one is a question, and one of the things we're talking about in our teaching team as we're working on the messages together is um, we're talking about adding a question to the end of our implications so that it gives you a specific question that you can chew on at your dinner table with your family or with your spouse or guys you get together with coffee for, ladies that get together um, for care groups. Start off your care group with this question. You know, how are we doing fulfilling this mission? Use it as a springboard to kind of cultivate discipleship conversations. How are we doing fulfilling this mission? The cool thing is, like, we get the opportunity to have these conversations. We get the opportunity to be excited about people trusting and following Jesus. Like, I, I cannot wait and I hope and pray that every single person in here gets to baptize somebody in the next year. Like, like personally, gets to walk out helping somebody get to know Jesus, and you get to be the baptizer. Like, you're the one that actually gets to call him and say, do you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do you want to trust and follow him with your life? Yeah, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father. Like, I hope everybody gets to hear, gets to experience that. Like, that's disciple makers at work, man. It's awesome. And not that everybody gets that all the time, but man, I hope that's a normal thing is that people are getting to walk out their faith and help people trust and follow Christ. We can do that because of what Jesus did for us. And we're honored that we get to remember every week that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. As often as we get together and eat, let's do this in remembrance of him. And the same way he took the cup and said, this cup represents the new covenant of his blood, his blood shed for us. So as often as we get together and drink this, let's remember him. In just a second, we're going to stand up and sing and kind of just worship together before we go home. And, and there's going to be people that are going to go off in the kind of the back corners of the room over here. If you need to go and pray with somebody, go and pray with them. Like just sometimes you write it on a card, but other times you're like, I really could use somebody just praying over me right now. Go and pray with them. But also like as you're thinking about like walking out, being a disciple maker, maybe there's somebody in your head that you're like, this is a person I really feel like God's put in my life. Maybe you just need to go and tell somebody, hey, I, I don't want to speak this out loud. I don't want to just kind of keep it in my head and three weeks go by and I don't do anything about it. Like I want to have the guts to go and tell somebody 
a name of somebody that I actually want to have God's help in reaching and discipling. So if you want to stand with us and sing, let's sing. If you need to go and pray, go ahead and pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.